Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. If you've been following the podcast for a while, then you should know by now that you can eat fat to lose fat. But eating fat to gain muscle might be a concept that a lot of people might not have heard about yet. And I know most of you aren't really interested in the biochemical pathways which usually make sense in textbooks but not in real life. So, I searched half fair around the world to find you a man who is a practical example of this theory. Today on the show, I have a special person who wants to educate and motivate every athlete who aspires to become their greatest self. Robert Orienskays or Keto Savage, welcome to the podcast. Hey man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So, did I pronounce your name correctly? Is this Keys or Skies? Uh, close. So it's Robert Orion Sykes. Sykes. Okay. Sorry, got that wrong. <laughs> no, you're All good, right. man. You're good. <laughs> so what's the story about Keto Savage? Did you name yourself Keto Savage or did people start calling you Keto Savage? Yeah, so it's kind of funny, man. Like I have a, a piece of paper way back in the day with all the potential brand names that I could use uh, for the business before it became a thing. And Keto Savage was the one that just stuck out because I like the, uh, the ethos that surrounds the words savage, being savagery. I feel like a lot of time it's, it's a negative connotation associated with that word. But for me, what I've tried to do with the brand is basically say, look, we all have this innate desire to, you know, grind, to, to hustle, to be something some, you know, someday. And savage to me is just a great manifestation of that ethos. Mm -hmm. Sounds fair. I yeah. Normally, I have one of my cousins, and everyone calls him savage because, like, he's like a practical example. He's you know he's witty and he's funny, and he's just his comebacks are so sarcastic. <laughs> That's why yeah. we, all of us call him savage. Makes then, sense. Yeah. Um, many people who are out there normally make a very similar kind of mistakes. Right. And I think knowing from you, like I wanted to get to know your story more, but normally the mistakes are eating two to three times, two to three um, in between two to three hours, let's say. And, you know, like going to like literally living in the gym and counting calories and overtraining and under recovering. And I can say that with a lot of confidence because that's what I did for so many years. And it sort of like trashed me. Although mm -hmm. I never competed in a bodybuilding competition or something like that, but I was just motivated. I, I'm not even sure at this point, like looking back, why was I so motivated? But I got my fat percentage between 3.8 to 4%. And I still remember all the struggle that I went through. Now, tell me your story and how did you come to where you are right now? Yeah, so when I started bodybuilding, I was tiny, man. I was 115 pounds. Um, I was just a scrawny kid. That was kind of my motivation for for lifting to begin with. Um, so my uncle, who was the the largest, most outgoing, you know, athlete in the family, um, he was he basically taught taught me how to lift. He taught me what a bicep curl was, um, you know, how to do a proper bench press. And then from there, I just took it and run with it. I became addicted to the sport. Um, I loved the aspect of being able to push myself with an individual style sport not having to rely on a team, but just, you know, my, my success or failures was totally dependent on my ability to put in the work. 
Um, so fell in love with the sport of bodybuilding. And with that, I kind of fell into the traditional dogma surrounding nutrition in the sport of bodybuilding, which was to eat every two or three hours, tons of protein, tons of carbs for energy, um, not too much fat based off of, you know, what your caloric load was. Um, so I kind of fell into that approach and I saw success with it in the sense of I was able to get really lean and I was able to put on a lot of muscle, but it wasn't healthy or sustainable for me long term. I developed a bunch of disordered eating habits. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't good. Like it wasn't something that I was excited to do for the rest of my life. So I started looking for alternative methods of nutrition and I started doing a, a diet called carbohydrate backloading developed by John Kiefer, which is basically keto during the day and then a bunch of high glycemic index carbs at night. And I did pretty well with that, but I noticed that the high glycemic index carbs at night would leave me with a bunch of gastric distress and it just, that wasn't optimal either. So I kind of phased that out. Um, and was doing carb backloading without the carbs, which lo and behold was keto. But I didn't know what it was at the time because at this, at this point, keto was not popular like it is now. There were no podcasts about keto. There were no textbooks about keto. Um, so I just kind of was flying by the seat of my pants. But I noticed all these performance benefits and psychological benefits with the removal of carbs. Um, so I just started honing that process. And lo and behold, learned what keto was and what I was doing. And I haven't looked back since. And which year was this in? This was in, this was after my third competition. So this must, this must have been like late 2014, early 2015. Yeah, that was still way too early for the whole keto craze. But yeah. I also feel like, you know, I see a lot of people like starving themselves to get a six pack. And for me, when I look at it, it's as, it's as dangerous as probably being overweight because, you know, you're always cold your thyroid crashes you're hungry all the time at least i was and you're and there was a point where i was even shooting for all these stimulants because i couldn't like be awake most of the time so i was just just putting on the having more caffeine and that led to like high cortisol and then mm -hmm. it's just it's just a downward spiral from there now you mentioned carb backloading and high glycemic index carbs can you explain to the listeners why do you use something like high glycemic carbs for carb backloading? Yeah, so the whole point with the carb backloading protocol <clears throat> was basically to consume a bunch of uh, easily digested, easily absorbed, easily assimilated carbs before going to bed. That way they pretty much clear your system um, and your blood sugar regulates before you fall into a deep sleep. And then that basically refills glycogen stores and fuels the next day's workout. Um, and I like the concept of eating, letting my body process that, and then that fueling the next day's workout, which is something pretty similar to what I do now, except without the carbs. Uh, but basically, the whole point is to consume foods that do not take a long time to digest. So re the removal of, you know, complex carbohydrates, a lot of fiber, things of that nature. So I was literally, you know, shoving donuts and uh, cereal and ice creams and stuff down my face thinking I was doing good. And from a, a mm -hmm. strictly from a compositional standpoint, my body tolerated that very well, but it led, it kind of fed into this, this binge eating philosophy, which I didn't want to contribute to anymore. Um, and it just honestly wasn't healthy, like eating a, a tray full of brownies covered in syrup, you know, at the end of the day, you recognize that this is probably not the healthiest thing that I could be doing. Um, mm -hmm. So I just stopped doing that after, after several months of that approach and then kind of just stuck with the the strict ketogenic approach. You know, I had something similar when I first started keto. I, like you, I did not read any books on it. It 
I first started experimenting with the ketogenic diet in 2008 or 2009, close to that. And this was because one of the trainers in my gym, he's, he told me that there is this excellent way to lose fat. And I was obese as a kid. So for me, fat loss was the main priority. And he told me that all you have to do, it, it was more of a cyclical keto approach. And the only thing he forgot to tell me was that on the days that you'd have to eat carbs, well, basically you could have like a donut and, you know, you could have all of these things, but he never told me like, you know, you need to use carbohydrates wisely. So I ended up like starving myself and like being on, and at that point, the fat intake wasn't even that high because everyone was mm -hmm. really scared of having so much of fat, right? So I was low on calories, low on fat. And then during like weekend was my cheat or like the carb loading day. And I would just go buy chocolates and ice creams, all these low fat ice creams. And I would like buy these cookies and put them in the fridge. I don't know why, but, and yeah, like it does seem to work for a bit, but then when you look at how it affects your longevity and how, you know, this glycemic, the concept of glycemic variability by itself just, you know, does so much of things like, you know, causes AGEs and all of those things. It's just scary sometimes. and. I wouldn't be surprised even now that even when there's so much of nutritional information out there and we know that, you know, always spiking your blood sugar up unless it's like, you know, you have like really reduced it with a workout or something, it can have so many of negative effects. So I'm glad you kind of spoke about this because a lot of people that I also see, they're just doing the dirty keto or they want to like just eat pancakes all day, like, you know, whenever they're not doing keto. So it's something good that we address. Now, mm -hmm. when I was first doing a lot of fasting and keto, I got a lot of trolls which said, you cannot work out on a ketogenic diet. It's going to trash you. And some of these people were the same ones who, you know, I, before the keto, I did CrossFit for a very long time and was preparing for competitions. At that time, I was vegan for two and a half years. And these guys were the same guys who were like, you wouldn't be able to do CrossFit. and I bet I did not even get to a professional level because I quit before that, but you were actually on a professional level. So I'm sure you get a lot of these people like telling you that, hey, keto doesn't work and this doesn't work. So what do you tell them? Like you obviously are an example, but in the earlier days, didn't people doubt that uh, when you told people like, I'm going to do a ketogenic diet and prepare for a competition, didn't a lot of people doubt it? Yeah, it's it's funny because people still doubt it. It's it's like people people don't want to admit that they're wrong when they are wrong, and people want to assume that there's only one way of doing things. I'm not saying that the ketogenic diet is the only way to get really lean. I mean, that's clearly not the case. Most competitors that are at an elite level are not following a ketogenic diet. Um, but to suggest that it's not possible with the ketogenic diet is also very very far from the truth. So I've always just tried to lead by example. And like when people tell me I can't do something, that just fuels my fire. I like to prove people wrong by showing them. Um, so yeah, when I first started, you know, I had everybody in my gym uh, locally and then everybody online once I started putting content on the interwebs tell me that I couldn't do it. Uh, and then I earned my pro card status. I got leaner than I've ever gotten before. It was done in a much healthier, more sustainable manner than I ever had done before. And that opened many people's eyes for sure. But I've been able to since replicate that exact same outcome in hundreds of clients over the years. And for me, like I, I can share my anecdotal story and I feel like that carries weight. But 
been able to do that and replicate that amongst hundreds of people. I mean, I've seen all the all the evidence that I need to see to to feel confident this way of nutritional, uh, you know, fueling for competition prep and body recomposition is totally effective if done correctly. And what's your approach when you are training yourself or when you're training your clients? Like, is there a specific cycling of keto that you do, or is there like you know, a specific protocol that you have learned after experimenting with so many years? Like if someone who's listening to this and someone who probably doesn't want to, you know, go stand in front of the stage on a bodybuilding competition, but just wants to look good naked, like what would be something that you've learned out of your experience, which is not really mainstream in the keto world right now? Yeah, so that's a super involved question. It really depends on the clients, but just really high level view. Um, I, I take into account what they're currently doing. Like if someone is not yet fat adapted, I've noticed that they tend to benefit from starting with a pretty high fat ratio approach to just basically prime their system to use fats, both stored fat and dietary fat as a primary fuel source. Um, so a lot of people coming into the keto diet now are hearing this massive buzz for really low fat if you have a lot of fat to lose and a lot of high protein. And protein is very, very important, clearly. But you don't want to necessarily start with minimal dietary fat because then you're basically giving up the carbs and not adding energy in any form or fashion. And your body's not yet efficient at tapping into its stored fat for energy. So you wind up feeling pretty miserable um, and becoming more likely to deviate from that protocol. Uh, so I think starting with a higher fat approach, if you are just now becoming adapted, is a good first step. Um, consuming ample protein all along the way, obviously. Um, resistance training, obviously, is going to help with that as well. Um, it's going to help maintain the muscle that you've built up to this point and then add new muscle depending on if you're in a caloric surplus or deficit and your level of training history. Um, honestly, there's, there's a lot of factors at play depending on what mm -hmm. the goal is. But from a body fat loss standpoint, um, you know, calories do matter. Energy balance does matter. A lot of people in the keto space try to push this narrative that calories are negligible and it's all hormone related. <clears throat> and hormones are incredibly important, but to suggest that calories don't count is also very far from the truth. Um, so taking into account what your caloric intake is, what your energy balance is, all of these are variables that have to be taken into consideration. Fair point. But also calories, it depends on what kind of calories that you have, right? Because you could have calories from, you know, just eating something super fried in like deep vegetable oils and that will be highly inflammatory. Or you can have something which is like cacao, some of the things that you use in one of your products, like cacao butter and, you know, things like that. So don't you think that the type and the kind and the timing of calorie also matters? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. A lot of people want to paint calories in this picture of just, you know, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie and it doesn't matter where that, where that source is coming from. But that's, that's very far from the truth. I mean, um, a, a carbohydrate calorie is going to respond differently in the body than a fat calorie or than a protein calorie. So the macronutrient distribution of the food that you're consuming is going to have a direct impact on your energy levels, your ability to recover, um, your, your sleep, your lots of factors. The the sourcing of that calorie, like not all too, not all fat calories are the same. I mean, like you, like you pointed out, a vegetable oil that's highly inflammatory is going to have a less desirable effect than something like a cacao butter um, with its, you know, 18 carbon bond steric acid that's going to respond very well from an energy distribution or energy uh, standpoint and also from a digestive standpoint. So yeah, the source of those calories are hugely important. That's why I've always tried to advocate for 
really focusing on the highest quality of foods that you can consume. Um, it's honestly one of my biggest frustrations with the flexible dieting if it fits your macros community. Not to say that flexible dieting is not a, a viable approach. It most certainly is. But oftentimes the importance of you know the foods that you're eating, the quality of those foods, the source of those foods gets swept under the rug because most of the importance is placed on the macronutrient profile um, and the overall caloric intake. And I, it all matters. Like we, we are... We are very malleable, you know, we are a very malleable species. The, the inputs that we put into our system all have an impact. So taking everything from a holistic view and seeing how to optimize for each variable is always the, the goal. Correct. And I think there was a study done by the Mayo Clinic, and they said that every time you eat some kind of calories that come from a sugar derivative, whether it's like high glycemic carbs or, um, you know, just candy or something like that, you get a twofold increase in like the metabolic damages that happen into your body at any given time. And that state eventually promotes diabetes, prediabetes, things like that. And this is why most of the people like, especially in, you know, developed countries are now facing this problem. UAE, where I live in Dubai, this is the biggest problem ever because it's, I think UAE is one of the top three countries in the world, which has the highest rate of diabetes. The second really? country, yeah, and the second country also, like, I am originally from India, and India has a huge number of people who have diabetes right now, all because, you know, it's, it's some part of it, it is culture, and some part of it is just like, you know, people just don't, they might count their calories, but they will not focus on the type of calories and where their calories are coming from. And you brought up something even interesting, steric acid, eating carbon. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about how fats are different and um, what's the advantage of someone who is going towards more of this, you know, long chain fatty acid. Yeah. So the, the long chain, this, this is pretty new research. So it's, it's gotten me excited. I don't really know where I stand on it all because it's not really been, you know, definitively proven mm -hmm. one way or another, but uh, high level view, you get, you know, a longer Longer, longer carbon chain in like a steric acid compared to like a, a, a lauric acid, for instance. Um, that's what's going to create more uh, shelf stability. This is why butter melts in your hand at room temperature, but a piece of cacao butter would not. Um, what's been interesting, I don't know if you've interviewed Brad Marshall from Fire in a Bottle on your podcast yet, but he's doing some pretty exciting research around how this, the steric acid specifically um, creates more insulin resistance at the fat cell itself. So at the adipocyte, it creates insulin resistance and makes that fat tissue less likely to store additional fat compared mm -hmm. to other fat sources. Um, so that's been interesting. There, there's some studies that suggest, you know, steric acid has a different effect on total cholesterol levels than other fatty acids. Um, so steric acid has definitely got my interest. But one thing that I can say for certain is that compared to many other fat sources, these longer carbon chains, uh, tend to have less digestive issues, like compared to an oil, for instance. I can consume much much higher quantities of uh, cacao butter and beef suet without any gastric distress than I would be able to in an oil form. And the energy that I get from that seems to be just a cleaner, uh, you know, more sustained energy than I would get from an oil. Um, so I think from a you know quality fat source, the steric acid is a great great option. I've been hearing a lot of research as well. No, I haven't interviewed the gentleman that you spoke about, but I've interviewed a few people who have brought this to my attention, especially people in the carnivore community. I mm -hmm. think, you know, Paul Saladino has gone um, 
he's been very open about this and he's been talking about stirk asset in fact i was in the us about 2 weeks ago i went for the biohacking conference and i was just too rushed up but i wanted to find just pure steric acid cuz someone told me that you can buy it off some nutrition companies now now they make like steric acid oils that you can use or pour over just like mcts so it would be very interesting to kind of i haven't experimented with it yet but i would love to experiment with it and mm-hmm. it is super interesting for you personally yeah personally now are you waiting for any competition are you preparing for any competition already or are you taking a break uh so i i shredded down for the 2020 competition season with the intent i had like a laundry list of shows that i was going to compete in uh during 2020 and then mm-hmm. one week before my first show it got canceled due to the pandemic uh so that was frustrating to say the least i'd spent 22 weeks dieting and then right before i stepped on stage it all got canceled um so that was that was that was not cool um, so mm-hmm. now it's not good to compete every year. A lot of, a lot of competitors make that mistake, especially as a natural athlete. If you're spending so much time in a deficit, your ability to, to build more muscle and look better every time you step on stage is significantly diminished. So I tend to take two or three years off in between competitive cycles. Um, so I'll probably spend the rest of this year and next year in a building phase and then compete again in 2023. I'm tentatively planning on competing again in 2023. Okay, so you do have some time. And in your building phase, how many pounds of muscle do you intend to put on? Or what's your target? Uh, so it's very minuscule, honestly. Like a lot of people, when they first start training, they can, they can reap the, the rewards of this new, newbie gain, so to speak. And their, their body is subject to a stimulus that it never has been before. And you can put on quite a bit of muscle quite rapidly. Uh, after you've been training you know, for years and you have more muscle maturity, your body has been subjected to these stimuli year after year after year. Your ability to put on just pounds of lean tissue is not so much the case anymore. Uh, so as a natural athlete, if I put on, you know, two pounds, three pounds of muscle a year, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds fair. And, you know, when we talk about muscle building and this building cycles, then as a natural athlete, you don't have many things to depend upon. Am I correct? Like, let's, for example... If you were a classic bodybuilder or like, you know, someone who's not really on a ketogenic diet, one of the biggest things that you would rely on is insulin or IGF-1 combined with some kind of mTOR activation. But on the ketogenic diet, if you're not introducing so many carbs, are you still getting that insulin signaling or are you just depending on muscle protein synthesis and mTOR activation via excess calories or just you know just the training effects that uh, the by effects of training that causes mTOR activation yeah so the main thing for me uh, well first of all as a natural athlete with the federations that I compete in they have a massive list of banned substances so insulin is certainly not allowed uh, any type of performance enhancing drugs are not even a lot of stimulants are not allowed um, so I've got pretty narrow list of supplements that I can actually use and you know, not worry about getting banned from the sport. Uh, so that certainly backs me into a corner from a performance-enhancing drug standpoint, uh, which I prefer that way. I don't really feel a desire or the need to pursue those those means. Um, but from a ketogenic standpoint, yeah, my my main my main variables, levers to pull, so to speak, are increased calories, um, ample protein, and proper training stimulus with the muscle protein synthesis to elicit growth. Um, I haven't seen, there, there is certainly an argument to be made for insulin being an extreme growth factor, 
And that that's true with regard to lean muscle tissue. That's true with regard to fat tissue. It's true with regard to a lot of different types of substrates. But uh, for me, I haven't noticed any decline in ability to build lean tissue with a strict ketogenic approach in the absence of carbohydrates. Do you ever cycle your carbohydrates? Like, are you having some kind of uh, like a targeted uh, ketogenic approach or a cyclical ketogenic approach, or you're just straight keto for all the time? Straight keto all the time, and it's been it's been six, seven years since I've had my last carbohydrate-based meal. Wow, that is such a long time. Now, obviously, you've been doing this for seven years, and you know you're. I've seen your videos on Instagram. You look great. Your strength doesn't seem to suffer. You're always smiling. So, you know, you're not going through something which when people are like deprived of calories or they're just, you know, when their life sucks happens. How do you, I mean, there also have been a lot of talks that being on the ketogenic diet strictly for excessive periods of time can cause some issues. Now, what's your view on that? Are you, do you think you're an exception or do you think that or with, because you've worked with so many clients, do you introduce carbohydrates at some point, you know, for increased serotonin, melatonin signaling for better sleep or for women who will probably have, you know, like menstrual cycle issues, because that does come up a lot on the ketogenic, um, you know, ketogenic talks in the community. Yeah, great question. So a lot of these um, adverse effects of a ketogenic diet long-term that, that you're describing, especially like when it comes to uh, menstrual cycles in females, um, you know, hormones, all of that thing, all of, those, all of those topics. Most of that is a result of just not enough calories in general. And a lot of people, when they go on a ketogenic diet and they're not tracking their macros, they're not consuming adequate nutrition, they'll have the uh, satiety effects that come with a higher fat approach or a ketogenic diet. And then they'll oftentimes just start chronically under eating and not even be aware of it. Then they'll start having these hormonal issues, uh, cycle disruptions and things of that nature. Anytime I've, I've worked with a client who's experienced these and then we simply bring their calories back up to a healthy level, uh, more of a maintenance or even a slight surplus, all of these issues are resolved. Um, their, their cycle returns back to normal. Like, I don't think there is any long-term adverse effects that come with a continued ketogenic diet. Um, now there are some, some situations in which people feel that there is, uh, they, they lose their insulin sensitivity by simply not consuming carbohydrates or sugars and that plagues their ability to you know, be insulin sensitive. However, their body doesn't forget how to process carbohydrates and sugars, just as there's an adaptation period when going keto for the first time, you know, there's that keto flu like symptoms that people talk about your body's been, if you've been carbohydrate dependent for your entire life then you go into a ketogenic diet, there's going to be a little, little lag time there for your body to upregulate the systems and pathways to be able to tolerate that. And the same is true in reverse. If you're strict keto for quite some time and then you have a, a large bowl of carbohydrates, then your body's not going to know instant, instantaneously how to process that in the most efficient way, man, in efficient way possible. But that doesn't mean that you have become insulin resistant and you're, you're, you're screwing yourself over, basically. If you simply keep the carbs coming in, at a reasonable rate, your body just upregulates those pathways and you're good to go. Your body doesn't forget how to use carbs and, and sugars and glucose. Um, I don't think you need to do that. I don't think there's any inherent benefit in having those carbohydrates, so I choose not to. Um, so for me, I feel better 
from a physical standpoint and a, a mental standpoint. I'm much sharper without carbohydrates. And I've had a lot of people, I, I've never tried to be dogmatic about it. Like I don't ever demonize carbohydrates and sugars. If somebody just has to have that in their world to function, then, you know, more power to you, do what you got to do. But more often than not, I see people returning back to uh, the carbohydrates and sugars that they got away from to begin with. And they notice a decline in uh, cognitive function. They start to, you know, have like if they have a negative relationship with food, they'll start to, to binge more, which is something that's not obviously optimal. Um, so I don't think there's any inherent benefit from not staying uh, strict keto for most people. Okay, makes sense. Have you tried experimenting with uh, blood glucose monitors? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've used, uh, I'll check my, my blood glucose acutely whenever I'm doing an experiment. I've also played around with some CGMs in the mm -hmm. past to see what my blood levels are doing throughout the day. Um, and as a train, that's, that's an interesting factor. When I train, this is pretty common to most people, but after a hard workout, my blood sugar rises quite high uh, relative to what it normally is at baseline. So it'll go as high as 120, 130 after a workout, uh, but then it just returns back to healthy baseline 70 or 80 uh, shortly thereafter. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty common. Every time you expose, especially if you have low levels of glycogen in your muscle tissue or in your liver, and then you expose yourself to some kind of, I mean, working out is a, a big amount of stress and your body just secretes cortisol and that breaks down glucose molecules. And then I think that's why you get that energy, even gluconeogenesis perhaps. And uh, that, that's why you have that higher level of uh, blood glucose. It even happens to me after a sauna session. Um, you know, every time I go for a run when I, when I'm completely on the ketogenic diet, but what was surprising for me was that I was following a very strict ketogenic diet for a few years. And then I slapped one of these blood glucose monitors and surprisingly my average blood glucose. And I would think that, you know, just like a person who's never experimented with these, I would think I'm going to be pretty low because I don't even, I don't even eat something that is insulinogenic and, you know, I, don't even have carbohydrates like just all my carbs are coming from vegetables and those are like broccoli and cauliflower so it's not as much but i was surprised to see that even my basal like um blood sugar was about anywhere between 90 to 105 and this was kind of shocking and then i i did some reading and i realized that it this could be this could be a possibility with people who have been on a low carbohydrate or more specifically a ketogenic diet for an extended period of time. And it's because of that insulin sensitivity thing that you spoke about. Um, have you seen this in your clients? I mean, if your, if your um, basal um, glucose levels were about 70, that's, that's brilliant. But um, does it happen to everyone? Or do you find people who have like elevated levels of blood glucose especially after a very long time on a strict ketogenic diet? It really depends, too, on the amount of calories you're taking in. For instance, when I'm on a strict ketogenic diet in the context of a deficit, my baseline numbers are much, much lower than they are in the same uh, realms in the context of a surplus. Um, and, you know, extended fast obviously can, can skew those, those results as well. Um, but if, I don't know if you were in a surplus or a deficit at that time that you were playing around the CGM, but I haven't noticed people that have been uh, you know, in a deficit, strict keto, having that high of, of basal numbers. But I have seen that in people that are in a caloric surplus. I was probably on a, I was maybe close to maintenance or just a little bit above. 
maybe 200 or 300 calories above maintenance. That mm, could be one sense. reason. And um, now, you know, I've heard about you for a very long time now, especially with that name Keto Savage. But <laughs> I, I never really checked you out in all honesty, especially in my early days of keto, because like, you know, I was trying to get some kind of information. So I was reading books and reading articles. But for some reason, your name always came up, but I never looked into you. But then I recently checked you out because some of our mutual friends like Danny Vega and Scott from the Carnivore podcast, which have been on my podcast. And if you're listening, then, you know, check those episodes out. Those were great because they both spoke to me about something called Keto Brick. And for mm-hmm. people who's listening, you've probably seen, you know, Keto Bricks on my stories, you know, from whether I've been in US or Italy or, you know, I was recently in Georgia stuck. And I've always had like one or two keto bricks in my backpack. Now, for those of you who are listening, keto brick is a meal replacement bar, which consists of about a thousand calories. And I guess, Robert, right now, everyone, everyone who's listening is like, why would you need a thousand calories? So I cannot give you the answer to that question, but you can. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So the bricks were, were made without the intention of them ever being a product. I made these uh, out of my own need and desire for a brick um, for my nutrition during my 2017 competition prep. And then it just kind of became, I was documenting that prep on YouTube and people saw it and they were, there was interest around it. So uh, we just rolled up our sleeves and started producing these as a product. Um, but yeah, basically it's a thousand calorie ketogenic meal replacement bar that has a very high fat ratio um, all the ingredients are top notch. Like I wanted it to be crafted specifically for optimizing my performance in bodybuilding. Um, mm-hmm. The reason it's a thousand calories is because it makes meal prep and macro manipulation much much easier. A lot of people have a hard time finding quality sources of fat on the ketogenic diet that are shelf stable. Like there's fat bombs and things of that nature, but those all use a much shorter carbon chain, and with that, there's much less shelf stability. Uh, they'll melt on you. You have to have them refrigerated. It's just not convenient. And I wanted to eliminate the, the potential for excuses to be made around finding quality fat sources that aid in the ketogenic diet uh, wherever you are. So the brick was born, and that's something I've, I've since pretty much consumed at least one every single day. Um, it, it bodes well for helping me get my fat macros up for the day. And it, I pair it with whatever meat source I'm using that day. So I'll oftentimes just break the brick in half. I'll have half of it with my first meal, half of it with my second and final meal with a good protein source. And that covers all my macronutrients pretty easily. Basically, just it was designed to eliminate uh, people's hesitancy towards optimizing their macronutrients. Like when it comes to, you know, whatever your meal frequency is on a ketogenic diet, for me, I'll typically have two meals a day. Um, I'll do an OMAD approach when I'm in a deficit, but usually two meals a day and half a brick with first meal and half a brick with second meal makes hitting my macros pretty effortless. And the more convenient and effortless things are, the more likely people are to sustain and adhere to it. Um, so yeah, you basically just reap the benefits of the ketogenic diet without near the hassle. You're completely correct. Like this is my experience being with people like I'm what that mindset when things can get difficult i can still power through because i'm hyper focused that way like you know i'll just forget about the rest of the world and i'll just go towards the target but i realized that over 90 percent of the world aren't like that and every time Mm -hmm. you increase one complexity in any task 
chances are people are just going to back off from it completely. And we've seen this in gyms and, you know, all these diets and things like that. The more complex they get, people leave it. And personally, for me, I don't really like packaged goods or products. But when I look at the keto brick and I was a bit skeptical, then we're talking. And then for me, the first thing I do is just turn any product and then go straight to the nutrition label to understand what's really going on. And then I'm seeing raw cacao nibs. I'm seeing, you know, vegetable protein, even grass-fed whey protein, pure MCT powder, cacao nibs, which are also organic. And then I'm like, okay, these are the things I consume anyway. So let me look into this. Now, like I mentioned, I have been, you know, I interviewed Danny on my podcast about three to four months ago. And we, he, he told me that how he also consumes one keto brick every day. And honestly, I have been, it, it's funny, I don't even, like, I was trying to gain a bit of muscle. Um, and I experimented with the keto brick for, a, I think, about one and a half months or something like that. And really, it that easy source of calories which is easily digested does make a very big difference i did put on a lot of muscle mass and um it was different when i was doing all my protocols and i was doing carb cycling as well but as soon as i introduced the keto brick i was seeing results literally every day and you know every day i look at my muscles i'm like oh alert today and you know it looks it looks within weeks, I just knew that it was a keto bricks doing it. And <clears throat> I think for the past three months, I've been ordering, uh, you know, you have those uh, 30 pack of multiple flavors. So I've been ordering mm-hmm. that every month. And before I was having one every day. And then I just didn't want to build muscle anymore. And I was traveling a lot. So I decided to, you know, now I just use it when I need it. But I still find myself at day 20. I, I'm not even eating it every day. But like, Sometimes I'll have two, you know, just like when I'm traveling and I'm just so very jet lagged. But I find myself on day 18, my mind is already telling me that, can you go to the pantry and check how many bricks you have? Because you might run out. And on day 20, I really see that I'm running out. So it is, I don't know, man, what are you putting some addictive things inside? Like, and <laughs> it's so difficult to like, and you know, you mentioned that you take a brick and then you cut it in half. I could never do that. Like, I always thought of it. I'm like, I'm going to start with this brick. I'm just going to get half of it. But then the flavors are, it's so difficult. Like, you know, just to stop halfway through. I'm like, eh, I have like 15 more. So let let it be. (laughs) Well, it's funny because there's so many products on the market and I'm not for products. Like, I don't like prepackaged products and I have a prepackaged product. And I'll always advocate people prioritize wholesome single ingredient you know, foods over products. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel really good about the bricks because there are not crappy ingredients in there. There's no, we don't add any sweeteners. There is some stevia and monk fruit in some of the protein powders that we use, but we don't add any additional uh, sweeteners. There are no filler ingredients. There are no, um, you know, chicory root fiber or inulin or any of these things that oftentimes cause digestive issues like allulose and erythritol and things of that nature. So from a mm-hmm. digestive standpoint, your body's actually absorbing the brick in its entirety and you're using it. Um, and from a calorie standpoint, it just makes getting in more calories easier. So there's been this massive push for uh, just chronic under eating in the keto space as well. 
um, where people are just advocating eating sub 1000 calories, which I would never advocate. Like if you're, if you're trying to be a freaking savage in life and fuel your workouts and perform at a high rate, you need to fuel your body properly. Uh, so I've never been a huge fan of just chronic restriction. Um, so pairing the brick with quality meat sources, is just an easy way to ensure that you're not underfed. Mm -hmm. Have you, um, have you, because the bricks by themselves, they're a huge amount of calories, right? They're 90 grams of fat. And for some people, that could be a bit too much. Do you suggest taking any sort of, you know, digestive enzymes or something like that to assist with that digestion? Or do you think just because of the very nature of the fat molecules itself, they don't need um, something extra going in? Yeah, you, I mean, if your digestion is solid, you shouldn't need anything additional. Uh, with the vegan-based protein and some of the flavors, we do have digestive enzymes in that to make mm -hmm. the, the protein from the vegetable sources more easily assimilated by the body. Um, but yeah, and you don't have to eat the whole thing. Like if someone is you know, a very small-framed person that doesn't need to have 3,000 calories a day or 2,000 calories a day, then, you know, portioning that out would be totally fine as well. A lot of people will melt the brick down and, and pour it into silicone molds and make little fat bombs, like 100 calorie brick bites, so to speak, with, with, with the whole brick. Um, and that works out pretty well for people that don't want to consume the ent entire brick in one sitting. Um, so it's pretty versatile depending on what's pe what people's macronutrient caloric needs are. Interesting. If I'm not mistaken, was it on... It was either on your Instagram or the Keto Bricks official Instagram that I saw that you guys were experimenting with um, a smaller size brick, like multiple bricks. Was am I? We've tried making like we've we've looked into to doing that, but yeah. I don't know that we will um, for a couple of different reasons. One of which being that it would actually be more expensive, you know, calorie for calorie for us to make a smaller brick, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to charge customers more for less, so to speak. Um, and it's honestly pretty simple to melt the brick down and pour them into, you know, bite-sized molds if people want a smaller portion size. So I don't have any plans to do that currently. That's certainly an option that we may bring out in the future. But at the moment, you know, we've got the right production set up for that thousand calorie brick as it is. Uh, and most people don't seem to have a problem with it. So we'll probably continue doing that for the foreseeable future. Okay. And Talk to me about this melting of the brick. So I, you know, melt the brick over heat. And I think one of the only times that I, the, uh, the brick melted on me. So I've taken it through like different seasons and like different cities. But in Dubai, we can get upwards of 50 degrees of heat. And I, once I forgot it in my backpack and it was the daytime and my backpack was in my car. I went for a meeting and I came back. And then I realized, oh, no, I shouldn't have. And then, yeah, that was the only time it melted on me. But then I just put it in the fridge again. It didn't have the same shape. But you're saying that you could use a strategy like this where you melt the keto brick by itself and it's easy to melt when you have enough amount of heat and then pour it in one of those, you know, those molds and then refrigerate it. Do you have to freeze it? Do you have to put it in the refrigerator? How does that work? No, no. A lot of people, they'll just simply, they'll do like a double boiling system if they want to get really fancy with it. But a lot of people, they'll just take the brick out of the package, put it in a microwave safe bowl, and then mm -hmm. microwave it at, for 20 seconds, you know, kind of breaking it up in between sessions and do that like three times, uh, you know, so 20, 40, 60 seconds total. And the brick's melted, and then you just simply pour that melted liquid into, you know, 
ice cube trays or little silicone molds of your choosing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a lot of people will have like a, a 10 piece mold, pour it evenly amongst those 10 pieces. And then each bite is a hundred calories basically. So it makes manipulating the macros super simple. And I'll just simply throw that, that uh, silicone mold into the refrigerator for, you know, an hour and then it's good to go. Okay. And when you're taking the boiling method, because I'm not a big fan of using microwaves, um, do these these substances that are in the keto break? Do they lose their nutrient quality? Not if you're not if heating? you're. I mean, if if you were to scorch the ingredients, like if you burned them at a really high temperature. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I hope no one does to, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. I mean, you could definitely uh, burn the cacao butter, and then it would. It would not be as it wouldn't taste as good. It wouldn't hold up as well. Uh, but as long as you're doing a low heat, mm -hmm. you shouldn't have any issues whatsoever. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. This is what I'm gonna go try after this podcast because I, you know, I have that problem of not being able to control myself when I open up my keto bricks. So I'm just gonna divide it into multiple ones and then take it from there. Now, there you go. What's what's your take? on the ketogenic diet and sports performance and you know athletes in all areas not just bodybuilding but you know maybe triathletes or sprinters or god knows whatsoever where do you see the ketogenic diet going do you think things like like these there are going to be other fat diets or something that's going to come up and the ketogenic diet is going to lose its charm or do you think it's here to stay do you think there is a lot of applications in sports performance or it's still limited? So it's probably, I mean, it will definitely, definitely lose its charm relative to where it's been before. That's just kind of the nature of the world. Um, so it, like even now, it doesn't have near the popularity around it that it did in 2018. Um, and that's okay. Like I, I'm not worried about that. It's just bound to happen with anything. It always rises and falls. With all of the new scientific and medical research coming out surrounding the ketogenic diet, I definitely think it's here to stay. I don't believe it to be a fad diet, um, so I'm not worried about that. The, the foundational base for the knowledge around the ketogenic diet continues to grow, and with that, you'll have more people adopting it and benefiting from it. Um, from a sports performance standpoint, I think it, its application is across, across a very wide uh, you know, variety of sports. I mean, a lot of people think that from a highly glycolytically demanding sport like CrossFit, keto is not applicable. Uh, but that's just not the case. I mean, there's been, there's been several studies that in, indicate once you allow yourself to truly and deeply become fat adapted, your body's ability to preserve stored muscle glycogen is improved and to replenish muscle glycogen via the glycerol backbone from the fatty acid oxidation is improved. I mean, People will tell you all the time that you can't get a good pump with a ketogenic diet. You have to have carbs for re replenishing muscle glycogen and getting a good pump and blood flow. And if nothing else, hopefully I've proved that to be false time and time again. Uh, but there's, I mean, mm -hmm. I am not a single person. Uh, there's, there's been so many other athletes that have responded wonderfully well to a low-carb ketogenic approach. I mean, in the endurance sector, absolutely, but also in the more heavily glycolytically demanding sports sector. I mean, there's a lot of CrossFit athletes that are now using a ketogenic approach. So the main thing is just letting the body truly adapt. If you, you know, transition to a ketogenic approach and you experience a decline in performance and then go back to eating carbs because of that decline in performance, you're never really going to allow yourself to adapt. But if you give it the time it takes to truly adapt, you'll be able to reap the rewards.
Mm-hmm. And I think I've also been an example in my community for this because I was strict keto. And, you know, after obviously the adaptation phase, which was a bit of struggle because I did not have as much as information that I have right now. But I've been doing CrossFit and like, you know, some of the regional level uh, workouts with even fasting for 24 hours. I've been like doing, I did OMAD for almost a year. And um, yeah, I was doing my, towards the end of my workout, I was doing like a two hour to two and a half hour strict CrossFit workout. and did that for so many months. And I think you're right. Once you've completely adapted, once you've completely fat adapted and you kind of like know how to adjust for your recovery, because the only problem that, I had or the mistakes that I made was I dived too deep like with the intensity and I did not know when to like dial it back and I was mm-hmm. even I was even not having enough calories to support my needs and this was still the earlier days so yeah spot on thanks for sharing that I think this will be very valuable for anyone who's listening right now to not make mistakes that you know probably we've made and like look at it from a very confident point of view because right now you're, you're listening to two people who have done it and you know for sure by no means have like fallen out because of the diet itself now what are some of like do you engage in any biohacks do you have any special recovery protocols do you do something out of the ordinary with yourself and with your clients that can you know help them gain muscle lose fat or you know get stronger or sleep better like what's apart from the ketogenic diet what are you really doing to be the way you are uh so sleep is a big one um as we all know or should know uh one thing one biohack i guess that you could say that i've been doing for sleep is just the mouth taping uh so mm-hmm. i tape my mouth every every night with a micro pore tape and that just forces nasal breathing as opposed to breathing through my mouth uh so i get a much higher quality sleep you know leveraging that um there's a whole bunch of other little sleep packs. Like I turn my thermostat down. I use the red light uh, or blue light mm-hmm. blocking glasses, um, all, all of that good stuff. Uh, from a recovery standpoint, I'll implement a deload every six to eight weeks or depending on how my body responds. So basically just simply having a, a time period in which I'm not implementing progressive overload, uh, but letting my, my CNS kind of recover before I go back into a heavy, heavy lifting session is, is good. Um, but then when I'm not deloading, actually training with adequate intensity, uh, so many people, they get in a rut with their lifting. They just go through the motions and they don't push the body. And then as such, the body has no reason to grow. Um, so continuing to lift hard and heavy and with enough volume and frequency uh, and intensity to elicit that growth is, is something that a lot of people just aren't doing um, because they get trapped into going through the motions. They go to the gym. They spend most of the time on their phone. They don't go there with intention and purpose. Uh, so having that, which is not really a hack so much as just a simple concept, um, is certainly important. Um, and then honestly, just fueling yourself properly. There's a whole bunch of controversy right now in the keto space and in dietary circles in general about what the optimal you know, protein intake is or fat intake or carbohydrate intake, how many calories. Uh, so just honing that in for, for the individual and figuring out what their body responds best to is super important um, and not letting all of the the minutia and the noise from the media and everybody's, you know, stance on things convolute them and, and get them to 
dis, you know, dismantle what they're currently doing. Because anything that, that's quality in life takes time. Like it takes time to build lean muscle tissue. It takes time to get fat adapted. It takes time to do these things. And so many people have this short-sighted quick fix mentality. And if they don't see the results they're looking for in a matter of weeks, they don't stay the course. So simply, uh, I mean, the, big, the biggest hack I could suggest would be to not hack anything at all, but simply play the long game. Mm-hmm. Slow and steady wins the race, that kind of a stuff. What is mm-hmm. just curious? What is your personal protein recommendation like? If a client, I mean, it depends on. I know it depends on so many factors, but is there a number that is like the minimum accepted thing in uh, when you train people? It really just depends on what the goal is. So this is definitely an approach that is very different for me versus traditional bro dieters uh, in the mm-hmm. dieting community in the bodybuilding space, especially. Um, if I'm in the building phase, then I'll, I'll typically do about one and a half grams of protein per pound of body weight, um, for mm-hmm. a relatively lean individual. Uh, like right now I weigh 175 pounds and I'm probably consuming between 220, 225 grams of protein a day. Um, now there are periods in the very beginning of a cut where I'll start with a higher fat protocol. Um, and there are periods at the very end of a cut where I'll have a very high fat ratio relative to protein as well. Um, in the very end, when you know calories are very low, and I'm in like the month prior to stepping on stage, I find a lot of benefit in having a very high fat ratio relative to protein to keep my hormones stable in the context mm-hmm. of that caloric deficit. Um, and if I'm training hard and heavy, which I do throughout the deficit, and I'm eating ample fats to keep my hormones stable, my ability to preserve lean mass is amplified anyways. So I find that I can kind of use protein as a manipulated variable and and tease that down fairly low without any adverse effects a lot of people are under the assumption that you have to have high protein in a deficit to preserve lean mass but if you're training hard you are fat adapted you are producing ketones um, and you're consuming a healthy caloric intake even if it is in a deficit then you can tease that protein down pretty low without any adverse effects to you know muscle tissue loss um so i'll have high, i'll have lower protein at that point but that's a very finite period of time and as soon as i transition back into a reverse diet i start bringing that protein back up sounds good thanks for sharing that and man i haven't even realized the time but we're getting to the end of this podcast and my last question to you would be that if you had a time machine let's say hypothetically you had a time machine and you could go back in time talk to your younger self and i mean how old are you now you're you seem so young i'll be 30 this month i'll be 30 this month this month all right man happy birthday in advance but let's say you had to go back to, let's say, your 18 or 20-year-old self, and you could give yourself like one, two, or three pieces of advice. And this doesn't have to be, you know, go to the ketogenic diet first and, you know, just adjust your macros or something like that. But just any kind of advice, what would that be, L- knowing all that you know about right now? Um, honestly, just to... to to gain more self-awareness and not worry so much about what everybody else thinks. You know, like I used to, my, my trap in eating the way I was that developed all my disordered eating habits to begin with was just looking at what everybody else was telling me to do. And I would look outwardly instead of inwardly. And that's true with regard to business mistakes that I've made. Like when I failed in business attempts, it would be because I was focusing on what everybody else was suggesting rather than what I knew to be true internally. Um, and I feel like that, that happens so much. Like people put so much weight in what the world tells them and they don't focus on what they themselves believe. Um, this is why social media can create so much heartache and discourse because people place their value based off of what people are telling them about themselves. 
um, for me, I've always tried to aspire to live a life that I'm passionate about, that I feel like I can add value to the world through, and then be confident in who I am and what I stand for, and to never sacrifice my integrity. And I feel like if that was my ethos from the beginning, I could have avoided a lot of pitfalls. Um, but at the same time, you know, having experiences, having opportunities, falling over, getting back up is what leads to that self-awareness and perspective to begin with. So I don't know if I would tell myself to do anything different uh, other than just to simply believe in myself. All right, and that's that sounds fair. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this need uh, needed to hear what you're saying because I see so many people with, including myself, I grew up obese and you know bullied in school, and I was always worried about what other people are doing. My passion of fitness actually came from a necessity because you know I didn't want to be bullied in school, and I didn't want to look that way. But then, yeah, it kind of continued, and I think. Only in the past few years, I have realized I'm 30 now. So only in the past few years, when I've looked at, you know, certain spiritual concepts or just like talking to great people like yourself, I've realized that looking inward is the best way to go at life. It's not, it's not caring about what people are saying. It's not caring about, you know, like comments or people are making because people always make comments, whether you do something right, you do something wrong, you do something extraordinary. There will always be things that people are going to talk about you. So mm -hmm. learning to kind of listen to that, not even ignoring them, like listening to them and kind of being in that space where you don't really care about what everyone is saying and you just know what your eternal self is and you know you know what you are and what you stand up for, that makes a lot of difference. So thank you for sharing that. I think uh, if you guys who are listening, just, you know, if, you don't have to go back in time. You can start using this concept, what Robert said today, and it'll make a lot of difference. And now, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for making Keto Bricks. Really, it's like, it's one of those most valuable things that I always use. Like, it's Keto Bricks in the past few months. If anyone wanted to find you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, man. Well, thanks again for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it more than you know. Um, it's awesome to to use podcasting as a medium and a platform to reach people all over the world. I mean, here I am in Arkansas, and you're in Dubai, which is crazy. So it's awesome. Uh, yeah. For me, get hold of me anything and all things Keto Savage. So if you type in Keto Savage on the internet, you'll find me. That's my social handles uh, and ketobrick.com for the bricks. All right, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all that you've done in the world and all the information, all the transformations that you've brought to. And this is me, CJ, signing off from the Shift with CJ podcast. I hope everyone has a great day ahead of you. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website www.shiftwithcj.com